are listening to the Good Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you, which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. Maybe seated. Turn to Acts chapter 5 or page 30 in some journals. I fully recognize that there is some game that is randomly kicking off right about now or maybe in a couple minutes. I'm aware. I too am missing it. Um, I, I thought about um, like maybe some Babylon B article, if you're familiar with that very serious publication. Um, you know, pastor, uh, church, church planning pastor with evening services looks for a reason to cancel service, uh, something like that. And I just, the reality is, I actually, if it wasn't for the Girl Scouts, I would have looked for a way to bump it earlier just to make it possible for us to hang out as a church together at, at somebody's house or in some venue, but no excuses were able to be made. So here we are. I'm sorry. And if I won't judge you if you have it on your phone. You will find no judgment here. Um, I, too, have it on my phone, right? right here. I'm kidding. I don't, I don't. I don't have that. But I will be cognizant of the time as I can. All right, Acts chapter 5. Uh, we are going to be reading verses uh, 12 through uh, 16. A little short paragraph here. Seems like a little throw-in, uh, but it certainly isn't. It's a nice little segue from what has happened into what will happen, and it's rich with truth. Luke, the writer, says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, not, uh, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them across cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is God's word. We are well into this story, the, the book of Acts, which immediately follows four of the Gospels of Jesus, and we have labeled our series here Witnesses. Uh, the apostles uh, and the early disciples were witnesses of the events surrounding the Gospel, particularly the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And Jesus commissioned the apostles early on as witnesses of what has happened in the, uh, in the empty tomb and to be spread about to the known world and beyond to make witness of this fact that Jesus was in fact alive. A uh, pretty amazing uh, eye, uh, eyewitness account. Uh, I'm, I'm sure if you were to have seen a ghost or some living person that once was dead, that would be quite the story. 
But what we find out throughout this entire book is that these are not very special people. What we find is they're much like us. They are imperfect people. And yet what they have beheld was something other than what this world normally has to tell. And so we have this little tagline, imperfect people beholding Jesus's perfect work. And we find ourselves in this line of apostolic succession, not that we are apostles, but the same thing that the uh, apostles delivered, we are also delivering. And you might say, well, that's kind of hard for people living 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And I would say, yes, that's very true. Uh, But we are not talking merely about a physical uh, sight that we have seen. This is a spiritual thing that we have seen. God has made us that once we're dead, he has made us alive. And we are speaking not only of Jesus's resurrection, uh, but as Paul would even say in Galatians, we too can't unsee what we have seen spiritually in the person and work of Jesus. And we have through his word this testimony. And we are finally uh, into chapter five, and chapter five starts off with a bang. And this really was last week. Uh, It's quite the horrifying scene. Everything is pretty good uh, in the book of Acts until you get chapter 5, and it all gets very spooky. Uh, Last week, we talked about this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, who, if you remember, decided to, in many ways, deceive the church, and in many ways, this attempt to deceive God, that they are more spiritual than what they were, uh, they were more spiritual on the outside than they were on the inside, and Peter ends up calling them out for it, and actually uh, they, they pay for it with their lives. And it's a pretty fearful story. Um, Peter comes to them and says, did you do this? And both of them said yes, and they both drop dead. Uh, it's pretty spooky. But if you remember, this story was preceded by countless stories of great grace that was flooding the early church. Like I said, it was happy. Chapters 1 through 4 was a very happy story about the the church actually living out their mission in such a way where there was not a needy person among the community. They were meeting needs and uh, signs and wonders were being done and it was this magnificent scene and great grace was upon them all. And as we left our story last week with Ananias and Sapphira, something else struck the church that was relatively new. In verse 11, if you look there at the top of page 30 in your journal, uh, or in Acts 5, 11, it says, Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This story comes on the heels of this pronounced fear in the life of the church. Now, we talked about this idea of fear last week a little bit as we, as we tailed off uh, our discussion last week. And we discussed that fear is a proper response to all of the ways in which God has revealed himself to us. So fear is this wonderful, proper, appropriate response to however God is deciding to reveal himself. My kids, I've been over the summers trying to teach them a proper fear of the swimming pool. And what I mean by that is both the terrifying aspects of children in swimming pools, but also the great amount of fear or fun factor that they can have. Water is like nothing else. Water is so much fun. 
I remember when Finn was just a baby, we had this little water table and this little containment of water. I mean, he could spend hours entertaining himself with just water. Now he gets the fun aspect. Okay, buddy, beyond the table, now we get to dip our entire body in a pool. And you get to swim, and it takes a long time to get from one end to the other. It's a lot of fun. But let me also tell you about the dangers of the swimming pool. It takes a long time to get from the top to the bottom, and from the bottom to the top. You've got to know where you're at. You have to know when you need help. You have to know when your feet can touch the floor. You have to know when you can bounce back up. You need to know that your body can only sustain uh, so much time without oxygen. It's a a proper response. It's both the fun aspect and the serious aspect of the pool. And when all that fear, the proper, the appropriate response to all of it is in place, man, I tell you, there is no greater thing to watch than a little boy jumping into a swimming pool. There's so much joy. I remember the first time I was ever really introduced to roller coasters. Do you remember that day? Some of you still don't like roller coasters. I remember the first time I put my hands up on a roller coaster. Remember that day? Like for the first time, it was just roller coasters, and I just tried to survive it because people kept telling me this was fun, and I had a hard time believing them. It was actually a pretty fearful thing. They're powerful. You don't have a lot of control. And then you realize it's all okay. It's all okay. And certainly, there are horror stories. But generally speaking, you can let go. That lap bar's in place. The, the shoulder harness is in place. Just let it rip. Just enjoy it. You're never going to fall that far, that fast, at any other point in your life. Millennium Force, I black out every time on that first little drop, every time. And you know what? I used to not like it. Now, I love it. It's a proper response. At first, there was this proper response, this fearful intrepidation of the roller coaster and its power. And then you realize, oh, there's so much power. It's awesome. This can be said about the fear of the Lord. There's an, appro- there's an appropriate and a proper response to the multifaceted ways in which God has revealed himself to us. And God has come to us in two main words. He comes to us in a word of law. He comes to us in a word of expectation. And for us, it comes in the forms of thou shalts and thou shalt nots, or do this and live. And God takes this very seriously. We see this in the Ten Commandments. We see this with Moses. We see this through the people of Israel and their entire existence. But we see it here even in Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. What God has brought in, don't mess around with. This is not up for grabs. God takes sin and the destruction of a grace-filled community very seriously. And yet, there's something else. It's not just fear and holiness and judgment and purity, which is, again, one of the aspects of how God has revealed himself. God also reveals himself to us in a word of gospel. The thou shalts and the thou shalt nots are not something that we end up fulfilling. The proper uh, fulfillment of the law, holiness, righteousness, purity, all of that is not fulfilled in us. It's actually fulfilled in Jesus And his righteousness, his purity, his holiness is granted to us by grace. 
And he comes and he makes himself known. He's born as a baby and we see him and we see him grow up and then he is in our gospel accounts and he's spreading the good news, but he's not just speaking. He's actually exhibiting or demonstrating the gospel with things like healings and other signs and wonders and the curse is being reversed. So we see a a proper fear of the Lord comes in a fear of his law, but also a fear of his gospel. It's both this terrifying and yet unbelievably blissful idea. If you have your Bible, and if you don't, that's okay. You can turn to John 3. I want to take a little bit of time to just walk through this little story of uh, Nicodemus. And actually, I, don't, go, go, don't turn there. I'll just go ahead and, and sum up this, the story. If you remember this guy named Nicodemus, he was a teacher of the law, somebody who should have known the Old Testament, certainly did know the Old Testament. And he comes to Jesus at night, right? He sneaks in. He's trying to be sneaky. And it's probably right that he is. You know, who knows what would happen if he got caught talking to Jesus and asking the questions that he was asking. But if you remember the story of Nicodemus, and Jesus starts to, to open up to, to Nicodemus and say, dude, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus ends up kind of getting caught between the law and the gospel here. He understands the holiness of God, and he's barely starting to scratch the surface, uh, the surface of his gospel. I think there's something good here. I think there's actually something that would actually put a smile on my face for the first time. And he's able to see Jesus's power and divinity. If you remember this, the story, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I know that you have come from God. And the reason I know that is because I've seen you doing all of these signs and these wonders. And yet he comes at night asking and trying to piece together, how can I be saved? How how can I actually receive eternal life? And Jesus says, dude, you've got to be born again. It's got to happen to you. you. You cannot ascend into heaven Heaven has to come down to you. Heaven has to descend to you. Just as Moses was raised up and people looked and were saved, so Jesus would be raised up on a cross and people would look and be saved. He was wrestling with this great idea. And then, of course, we have those powerful verses in uh, John 3, 16 and 17. Uh, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. He was caught in between this idea of law and gospel, and what Jesus was trying to say is that the law was always revealing to us the gospel. It was always preparing the way for the good news of the gospel. And what you are to see in Jesus is that the ultimate, the ultimate revelation of God ends in good news which is really good news for people like you and me. When it comes to the fear of the Lord or the church being in great fear of the Lord, certainly we should take seriously his law and his commandments, but we should also see the person and work of Jesus and ultimately, in a great ultimate sense, we should be people who are the happiest on this planet. Not because life is particularly going very well, but in the middle of the mess, we have an eternal hope that kind of shines through the mess. We have an eternal hope in the gospel. And this is where we're at. So I have a question for you. Because I'll be honest, if you're like me, 
it's not like I am the most happy person all the time. I'm a pretty positive person. That doesn't mean I'm always the happiest person. Things can get me down. Things certainly weigh me down. And there's a deeper reality that there are things that keep me from embracing the true good realities of the gospel. And I think that's true for you too. And so I'm asking you, what, what are the things that keep you from embracing the pure, unadulterated goodness of the gospel? What keeps the good news from being good? What is it that robs you from seeing the true beauty of the gospel? Well, I think there's actually something we can see from our passage here that we can learn in seeking to answer that question. We see here in verse 12, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostle. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. If you remember uh, this uh, Solomon's portico, this is where the lame man was running through rejoicing and leaping and praising God, making a scene. Remember, he was bouncing through the portico and everyone was asking, like, what is happening to this guy? Hey, aren't you the lame man that we know who has been lame for 40 years? Many signs and wonders were, be, were regularly being done and they were all together in this place. So we need to discuss a little bit here because this is a question. What is the purpose of signs and wonders? Because I'll be honest, this is pretty fantastic stuff. We have lame people bouncing around. I mean, where's that in the church today? That's awesome. I want to see more of the fireworks, right? I want to see more of that stuff. And certainly, I, we all do, and it's not a bad thing to want. But I do think there is a helpful understanding of signs and wonders that give us a little bit of understanding as to the true nature of what really puts the goodness back in the gospel. So what are the purpose of the signs and wonders? Well, first, we need to understand that the miracles that are being done here and other parts of Scripture authenticate God's message and his messengers. Verse 12, many signs and wonders. Literally a direct phrase. If you go back in your Bibles to, or in your journals to Acts 4, verse 30, you can see this exact phrase. In fact, I'll go ahead and read 4, 29 through 31. Now, the, uh, if you remember this scene, this is where uh, Peter and John were being persecuted. They're before the, the council, and they uh, eventually let go. And he says this in verse 29. Peter says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak, with, uh, to, to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, this, is an, this, this here in, ver, in chapter 5, verse 12, is a, is a direct answer to prayer of the apostles from chapter 40. They prayed, let us speak with boldness while you heal. And then boom, in chapter 5, many signs and wonders were regularly being done by the hands of the apostles. It's pretty crazy. Direct answer to prayer. But you see the prayer in chapter 4, he says, Lord, you let us continue to speak boldly. That's our goal. That's our job. That's what we're here to do, to proclaim and to make witness of what you have done. 
And then you, Jesus, by the hand of Jesus, you go heal and kind of validate or uh, give authenticity to what is happening. But certainly we see here that the Spirit is empowering the apostles to do the healing as well. So, the, the uh, signs and wonders here, at least immediately in this context, are directly supporting the proclamation of the word. But we don't just see it in this context, we see it in the rest of scriptures as well. If you remember uh, Moses in the burning bush, one of the first uh, moments where these kind of signs and wonders, this idea of signs and wonders is even brought up. If you remember this story, Moses is called by God to go back to his nation, right? Go back to Israel. And of course, they were enslaved in Egypt at this time. And Moses is like, God, I'm out. I don't want to be doing this. I, I'm not your guy. And he shows up in the burning bush and uh, God says, no, you're, you're going to go tell them I am has sent you. It's going to be okay. And then Moses says, well, what kind of signs and wonders will you perform to authenticate my message? And of course, many signs and wonders were done by Moses to authenticate the message. And this is going to go on with Old Testament prophets in 1 Kings 17 and in 18 and 2 Kings 1.10, where you have signs and wonders, things like fire burning down from heaven to authenticate particular words that God is asking the prophets to speak. And this rolls right into the New Testament. Remember with uh, Nicodemus, as we already mentioned in, in John 3, I know you are the one that God has sent because you have been doing signs and wonders. Jesus' message was being backed up by his signs and wonders. And then actually, we have this very clear articulation from Jesus in Luke 7, 22. Now, remember, the, uh, John the Baptist has some disciples at that time, and uh, John the Baptist's disciples are, are trying to poke around at Jesus. Are you the one? Or should we look for someone else? And Jesus says, hey, you go back and you tell John this. You tell them, you, you tell him that the blind can see, that the lame can walk, that lepers are cleansed, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. You go tell him that. Signs and wonders, and this direct revelation of good news to those who don't have any. This uh, these signs and wonders, as great as they are and as fireworky as they are, they are actually there to support the realities of the good news of the gospel message. Beyond that, miracles point to God's kingdom in the restoration of all things. So they don't just authenticate God's message and, and his messengers. They actually point to something. They point to God's kingdom. They, in other words, they point to God's rule and reign on the earth. These signs and wonders were done in all sorts of categories that Jesus' kingdom would extend over. They extend over the spiritual realm, Jesus casting out demons. They extend over the physical realm, Jesus turning water into wine and calming oceans. All these things point to God's rule, but also they point to God's blessing. It has always been the point of what God has been trying to articulate through his rule to bring about blessing. If you remember, this is why he even started with the nation of Israel to begin with. He says, I will choose a nation 
and they will set up their own government. They will be my people and I will be their God and they will be a blessing to the nations. They will be what I use to bless. That was God's goal all along. And so throughout the entire uh, Old Testament, you see this story of not just God establishing his rule, but also providing his blessing. That's what we call God's kingdom. We certainly call that God's kingdom. But we also see the restoration of all things. Jesus, uh, or these signs and wonders through Jesus, begin to undo what was broken in the curse. You see this little kind of retroactive word going against uh, what sin, death, and the devil have brought in. If you remember Jesus' first words uh, in, in the gospel accounts, if you're looking for the first red-letter words in your Bible, if you have one of those, those red-letter Bibles that tell you when, when Jesus is speaking, the first ones you'll see in the gospel is Jesus arriving on the scene and saying, the kingdom of God is here. I am the final establishment of this rule and blessing. Then you also see him speaking things like in Luke 11. It says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is here. It's now. And I'm showing you this by, look, I can even cast out demons. The, the dark world submits to me. The rest of the created order submits to me. Even the curse of sin submits to me. Uh, Really old, smart dude. He's still with us. He's not dead. But he's still really old and he's still really smart. Says this, Miracles bear witness to the fact that the kingdom of God has come and has begun to expand its beneficial results into people's lives. So even for you and for me, you might ask, well, is, is this kind of stuff for us today? And I would say, well, it's not not for us. You might say, well, I, I don't really have a great church experience where I, I see a lot of signs and wonders. And I said, well, first of all, you got to understand that the signs and wonders were never actually the point to, to begin with. In fact, you can actually make the, uh, the argument that a lot of the signs and wonders were misinterpreted by a lot of people. Jesus was actually doing things like feeding 5,000 people and eventually Jesus kind of got fed up and said, you only want me because I can fill your belly. I'm here to tell you that I am the bread of life. I sustain your eternal existence. You're you're taking this sign and wonder and making that the, the ultimate thing when in reality, I specifically, I the person of Jesus am your bread of your eternal life. Don't miss me. And it's the same thing with these signs and wonders. They're all helping to authenticate and give us the reality that the gospel is true. The gospel is true for you and it's true for me. So even if we were to never have another miracle done on this planet earth, we would still have everything we need right here in the word of God to know, to know that the gospel is true. But I'll tell you as a pastor, I see these signs and miracles happening all the time. Uh, many of you know my, my, uh, my little buddy, Jonah. Um, I, I see it all the time with him. In a spiritual way, certainly. But I even, asked him, uh, I even asked him this week as I met with him. I said, buddy, how are you sleeping? If you don't know, Jonah's little 12-year-old boy uh, got in contact with, with his mom. And the, the main reason I, I got in contact with him because he had a very hard time sleeping. He said, well, that seems weird that you would call a pastor for that. I thought the same thing, to be very frank. Like, I don't have a help your kids sleeping degree. 
Um, I have a Bible degree, um, very far from the medical field, but I'm here to help. How can I help? Turns out he was having nightmares related to some spiritual things, and I said, well, I mean, I can, I can talk with him. Here's my game, mom and dad. Here, here's how I'll approach this. We'll read a kid's Bible together. <laughs> it's like, that's what your Bible degree gets you. You have a kid's Bible, and uh, I can read, uh, and so that's what we've been doing. And by God's grace, the dude is healed. He, I mean, I, since I've been meeting with him, I mean, he's like, we don't even talk about it anymore. We just read the Bible. We talk about things going on in his life. Like, I asked him, I mean, just like, hey, buddy, we haven't talked about it in a while, but how are you sleeping? Said, Great. No, no, more, no more nightmares? No. No. I know where I'm at with Jesus. Okay. All right. You, you getting your eight hours? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, actually more than that these days because he's doing alternating school and so sometimes he sleeps in. Um, yeah, I, but I see that. And I'm like, I, again, I don't, have a, I don't have a medical degree that helps people sleep at night. I, but I can share you the good news of Jesus and it's not going to be surprising to me if you understand how good Jesus is through the gospel, that your heart is a little bit more at peace, that maybe your blood pressure goes down, or maybe you are able to sleep at night, or maybe you are actually able to get off some sort of medication. I don't know. I don't know if that'll happen to you, but the reality is it makes sense to me how if my heart is at rest, it frees up my mind to be at rest, and then I'm actually able for my body to be at rest. That makes sense. And I see it. But the miracle is, that is not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is like Jonah's heart's at rest. His his mind is at rest. He knows where he's at with with God. If I can say it this way, it's not that, like, I I don't rejoice greatly. I mean, I do rejoice greatly that he's able to sleep at night. But I rejoice even more that Jonah once was dead, but now he's alive. He was blind, but now he can see. He's like that lame, lame guy running around in the temple square, causing a scene, because he didn't understand, and now he understands. And this is what we see here with these miracles, signs and wonders regularly being done by the apostles. It's interesting, verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. You have all these people who are seeing these signs and wonders, and they're getting the big, the big picture. And in verse 13, none of the rest dare join them. Remember, this is in Solomon's portico. If you remember in previous chapters with the lame man running around, you had many uh, people in the Jewish community who resisted Jesus, who had a lot at stake in the game of religion. And they were kind of like, what's going on with this lame man? I don't want anything to do with it. Ah, I, I just want out. That's who it's referring to in verse 13. None of the rest Uh, Actually, this goes back to chapter 3, verse 12, in in reference to men of Israel in that verse. And also in Luke's gospel, Luke refers to this kind of, uh, this word as just simply the others, which is another creepy word in a good movie. Luke 8.10, he refers to them as the others, people who just chose not to follow Jesus. The rest of them dared not join. It's not just join, it's they didn't want to be in proximity to Jesus. They didn't want to be around. They didn't want to be seen together. Again, there was too much religion things at stake, too much power, too much, too much street cred to be at stake ruining with these signs and wonders people. They, they didn't want to be seen or associated with them at all. But the people, verse 13, but the people held them in high esteem, which shows me 
those who have skin in the game are, e- are easily walking away from Jesus. But those who have no skin in the spiritual game, normal, common people who know they have problems, who know that they stand at arm's length away from God, those people see a miracle and they're like, I want in on that. that that's special. That's not like what re- whatever religion can do. That's death to life stuff. Show me that again. Let me see that again. They held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes, men and women. It's non-discriminate. doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your status is in the current situation. Signs and wonders. The goodness of the gospel was being demonstrated and was brought, it's like the, it's like the cream rising up. The goodness of the gospel was just kind of sitting there, ready for anyone to grab. Well, this, you might kind of ask then, like, well then, what do we do with the how of miracles? If we talked about the what of miracles, what about the how? Because verse 15 is kind of weird, not going to lie about it. So they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. I hope you're lucky. The people also gathered from around towns of Jerusalem, bringing sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible. You might say, well, in verse 15, it doesn't really look like that that is a true reality. It just looks like people believed it. If you, if that was, I, I read some of that this week, like that kind of, the shadow stuff, right? Peter's shadow falling on people. That didn't actually happen. People were just superstitious and they thought it could happen. That might be true. It's not super clear in this passage, but you do have things happening in Jesus's ministry, like in Mark 6, where people were literally just lining the streets to touch the hem of his garment and were being healed. A little bit of superstition going on there. If I could just, it's in his clothes. The power is in his clothes. If I can just swipe just a hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. And they were healed. And then later on, we're going to get to chapter 19 in Acts, where Paul is actually doing some healing. And they take fabric and they get Paul to touch it and then they take that fabric and they run it over to sick people and they are healed. (laughs) That's even more spooky. So you might be able to like, well, geez, again, this healing stuff seems kind of spooky. The point is, if God wants people to experience good things, nothing's going to stop him. And I can even say this, God loves to choose physical means to bring about spiritual goodness. God loves to use physical means to bring about spiritual goodness. And there is no greater depiction of this than what we celebrate every Sunday. God loves to choose physical means to bring spiritual goodness to us. And you can say, this is just bread and wine. And I said, yeah, just bread and wine. I mean, they know where to get it. You can go to the store. There's nothing special. There's nothing wishy-washy going on here. But the spiritual realities, the promises that God puts, attaches to these realities are wonderful things for us. We celebrate literally, this is my body broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of your sins. We take these realities and we put them into our bodies and we digest them and nothing magical is happening. But the spiritual realities that God takes to the physical and brings the spiritual and says, eat, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, guys, it's so beautiful. 
And this, like, we could see this and say, like, this is very common. This is a very ordinary church experience. And yet, what happens here every Sunday is a little bit of signs and wonders. It's a little bit of, man, this is the promise of God brought right here, tangible to us. It's the same with preaching. It's not like in my study, the Shaginah glory just like shines on me and I'm just sitting, no, I'm over at Panera Bread on East Broad Street. I end up walking out smelling like burnt toast. That's, that's what happens. And yet every week from a pulpit like this and from a fool like me, the promises of God goes out and people come and it's a spiritual reality. You all hear it, but it's a spiritual reality. You walk away renewed, re, like almost like reborn every Sunday because of what God's doing in your heart. It's a miracle. Trust me, on this side of it, I can say it's a miracle. And I've been plenty on the other side as well. It's the same miraculous event. But the question, going back to our original question, and I know it feels a little disjointed. It's a weird paragraph. And you might feel like, where does this relate to me? Because I don't really feel like signs and wonder-ish. But I do ha- the question remains, what is causing us from hearing and understanding and embracing the hilarious good news of the gospel? The signs and wonders, sure, yeah. You might say, like, that's, that's not part of Christianity. But the reality is, in Jesus, the law has totally been dealt with. And to be honest, that's, that's kind of hilarious. Knowing how I think about my life week to week, so, so caught up and so tightly bound by what I think of me, and then relating that to, well, that's how God must think of me. So according to my spiritual performance, I'm constantly thinking, well, I didn't do that well. I'm not really good at that. And that person's so much better at that than I am. I need so much healing, or I need so much of the miraculous for this aspect of my life to be presentable to God. And God's like, no, it's, it's dealt with. It's all, it's all gone. It's all been carried out. The things that, the things that I come with, I, I, I'm just not righteous enough here. I don't have my quiet time with the Lord as often as I need to. How, how can I ever be acceptable to God? I mean, that's, that's, one small, that's one small thing. And it yet, like, it keeps me from, from truly embracing the realities of the gospel. It, it, I'm not like these people who have seen signs and wonders who are skipping around in temple squares saying, the good news is great. I am healed. There's there's not a sin attached to my body. There's not a broken part of my entire reality. That's the hilarious thing that these people were experiencing through signs and wonders, and yet we have the gospel message, the realities and promises of the gospel, and yet, I mean, I'm just telling you, there's so many things that keep me from laughing at how good Jesus is and laughing at the realities. I am fully righteous before God. I I have full requirement of the law status before God. Guys, I'm going to heaven forever. I'm going to experience the rule and the blessing of God in Jesus for all time. That's going to happen. <laughs> it's not because of me. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. And he literally walked out of the tomb. 
And so, guys, I, I just, I wonder today, what is, what is keeping you from embracing the reality of the gospel? Because the reality is, if there's something powerful in your life that you, you have skin in the game on, right? You have some sort of power you're trying to hang on to. Well, at least I got my righteousness. At least I'm right on this issue, and I'm not giving that up. I'm righteous here. I'm good. I'm clean. I'm not giving that up. I am churchy. I'm a good person. We cling on to these things. And it's scary because, verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. None of the rest were seeing the signs and miracles of the gospel and were like, that's it. That's it. That's, that is the magic of this life. That is wonderful. They were all clinging on and they walked away from Jesus. And yet people who had nothing held them in high esteem and more and more were gathered, men and women. It was beautiful. And they told other people and they brought other people. And they were like, listen, if you could just get the good news of the gospel, if you can just stand in the shadow of that, oh, it's going to be awesome. Just come, 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 come to church. Just get in the shadow of it. Just hear it. Just listen to it. What keeps you from embracing the goodness of the gospel? Because in Jesus, in Jesus, there's nothing holding you back from understanding and believing the hilarious good news that it is finished for you. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing on Jesus' side. It's all paid for. It's all finished. His righteousness is all yours. Every one of your sins has been forgiven, even the ones for tomorrow. It's all in him. Your eternity is set. Jesus has an appointment for you. When that day happens, you'll be with him for all time. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be beautiful. So what's keeping you from laughing today? What's keeping you from rejoicing at what you have seen and what you have heard? As we come to the table here, this is another offer and another extension of what God has promised to us here. And I pray that we by faith would cling to these realities and know that this is Jesus's body that he has prepared for us and says this is broken for you. This is the blood of his covenant that was shed for you. So you don't have to be a member of Good Shepherd Bible Church to participate. That's, that's really not what it's for. It's for the entire capital C church. It uh, doesn't matter men or women or who you are, what your, what your background is. Only ones who come in faith saying, I need that. that that's who it's for. So come and, uh, and take. We'll go ahead and pray. Musicians can come up and then I'll give you a little bit more instruction about communion and then we'll, we'll partake. Father, we are th- thanking you tonight that you have done signs and wonders in our life. And Father, some of us uh, might claim to have some aspects of fireworks more than others. Uh, Some of us came a little bit more kicking and screaming, and some of us just were five years old, and we we just knew we were sinners and needed a Savior. And so we prayed. And Father, that's there's there's some people we have uh, bigger (laughs) bigger signs and wonder moments, but Father, all of it's miraculous, all of it is, because you have made us. We were, we were dead and you have made us alive. So Father, I pray that tonight we would see the good news of the gospel rising to the surface amongst all the things that we've seen and experienced in this life and that we would taste and see that you are truly good to us. Father, I pray for the one who is struggling simply because there's something in the way of believing the gospel. Whether they feel like they have 
religious skin in the game. Or they have something in their life they feel like they just can't give up. Or maybe sin is just that appealing and they feel like, I can't give that up. Father, I pray that you might help them to understand the life-giving power of Jesus, that they might know the sweetness of the gospel. Father, we pray these things through Christ who loves us. salvation.